Welcome to Leonard Lopate at Large. I'm Leonard Lopate. As one of the most sought-after GOP media consultants, strategists, and admin, Rick Wilson helped countless Republicans win elections. So I suspect many people in his party were surprised when he began appearing as a critic of the president on cable news talk shows soon after the 2016 election. Since then, he has written a number one New York Times bestseller, Everything Trump Touches Dies, and now he's back with another best-selling book, Running Against the Devil, which has been described as a guidebook for beating the president's tricks, traps, and tweet a feed in 2020. It's published by Penguin Random House and brings Frederick George Wilson to our show now. Welcome. Thank you, Leonard. I appreciate you having me on today. Uh, I thought we might try to focus mostly on your book, although it's difficult to ignore the the new stories that are coming out of uh, the White House, New Hampshire, and, and Mar-a-Lago and elsewhere almost every day. Uh, but uh, so if something comes up, please uh, address it. Uh, your subtitle is A Plot to Save America from Trump and the Democrats from Themselves. A plot? Well, I, I, you know, I think that, that, that in a lot of ways what Democrats have often underestimated is that a lot of successful Republican campaigning is kind of a scheme. We engage in a lot of plots. We engage in a lot of, of, of stuff that seems a little bit underhanded. Um, because, you know, as, as is a commonly noted thing, um, Republicans don't try to win an argument. They try to, to win the election. And I'm trying to give Democrats a short set of shortcuts here to not only avoiding the disaster parts, but also to doing some successful things that will help them uh, be victorious in, the, in 2020. Now, James Buchanan and Andrew Johnson are generally cited as the worst presidents in U.S. history. And I can think of a couple of other candidates from my lifetime. But you claim that Trump is the worst ever and predict even worse things to come if if he's reelected? I I truly believe that Donald Trump is a a true danger to this country in ways that that even folks like Buchanan could not have imagined um, because he is he is equipped with a set of tools that no one else in in our in our past history could ever have envisioned in order to manipulate public opinion, to change public behavior, and, and to do things that, that, that have such a sweeping impact on such short notice. No, no, no former president had 70 million people following him on a social media platform that he was able to change public opinion and behavior almost instantaneously. Interestingly, despite uh, a number of difficult situations recently, his approval rating is at an all-time high. Hello? Did we just lose you, Rick? Okay, well, should we play a little bit of music while we try to get him back? Rick, are you there? Hmm. This is one of the reasons I love to have people in the studio. (laughs) You don't lose the phone line.
We have gotten Rick Wilson back on the line. His book, Running Against the Devil, A Plot to Save America from Trump and the Democrats from themselves. Well, what happened? Are you traveling? Are you suddenly... I am on the, I am on the train. Ah. And as we know, why, why, should, why should cell phones work in our nation's capital? <laughs> Well, I, my question was, uh, his approval rating is at an all-time high, despite an awful lot of embarrassing things recently. And, and I think I lost you right around this point. He is spending a stupendous amount of money right now on advertising to keep his name ID up and to keep his approval rating up. They are burning through over $20 million a month right now on digital and paid media in order to counteract and countervail a lot of these other stories. Now, there is a difference. There's an also an aspect of a very divided Democratic field where a lot of voters have taken their eye off of Trump and they're trying to sort out which of these candidates is going to be the best one um, to take him on in the fall. And so, um, you know, were you surprised by the results yesterday? Because uh, I guess we knew that uh, that Sanders and Buttigieg were going to be number one and two, but Amy Klobuchar, number three, and Elizabeth Warren all the way down, and Joe Joe Biden all the way down? Yeah, I I mean, look, Biden did not not put a ton of money into New Hampshire. Uh, I think he would have much preferred to to finish fourth. Um, He would have much preferred to finish fourth Mm -hmm. uh, than fifth. But it certainly is a a situation where, where... Nothing uh, Biden can do right now seems to shake the degree to which he has snaked it. And there's a degree to which um, his his fortunes have fallen very quickly. Now, also, Elizabeth Warren has fallen very quickly because her situation, she looked like a frontrunner for quite a long time, and then it just all collapsed on her. And I don't think there's a pathway for her back to Bernie's strength right now in the progressive lane of the party. And there really are lanes in the party. There really are divisions in the party of, of ideological uh, ideological differences and ideological splits that that are not amenable to uh, you know a, a reconciliation or a peace treaty right now. Um, but you know, Amy Klobuchar has the hot hand in the field right now. She's moved up very very quickly. And it's been impressive to watch her campaign come together. And she's raising money at a very, very fast clip right now. And it's been an impressive time. But, you know, there are splits in the Republican Party as well. How has Donald Trump been able to bring all of these, uh, you cite three different kinds of people, together to continue to support him? Well, Trump's main skill has been that He's, a, he's got a super-powered media network behind him in the form of Fox. And Fox has been a normative force in the GOP for quite some time. And their ability to, to basically disqualify any other candidate in favor of Trump has led him to have a sort of superpower inside the GOP. There's no one with even, there's no one even vaguely in the same category as, uh, as he is inside the party right now in terms of, of support from Fox itself. You you uh, say that uh, perhaps one third of uh, Republicans believe uh, in uh, that Trumpism is the new way. Uh, I guess that's his base. Another are terrified of him and what he might tweet about them. And the rest are opportunists who want the judges deregulations for their donors and Roe v. Wade overturned. So has has this changed the Republican Party forever? I think it really happened, and I think it's reshaped the GOP in a way that that will have ramifications for a very long time. It will cause an enormous uh, degrade, degradation of the brand of the GOP as a party that was based on conservative principles or ideology. None of those things really matter anymore. Um, short-term policy uh, changes that they wanted from Trump in terms of of deregulating the coal industry and all these other things um, are are very are very uh, pleasing to certain lobbyists. But they're not, at the end of the day, you know, uh, conservative at their core, governing by executive fiat, not really conservative at its core, eliminating the rule of law essentially, not really conservative. So, the party has been replaced by a Trumpist Trumpist party, and it is. 
it is a much different environment and a much different creature than it was, you know, when when I started out in this whole thing 30 years ago. So are you still a Republican, or you, you say that the party you once loved is gone? It is gone, and, and, and you know, I, my, 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 I call myself a recovering Republican these days. Um, <laughs> or a former not, KGB agent, you said at one point. Well, you know, the analogy, the, the KGB agent analogy is one that I found is kind of important because an awful lot of Democrats say things like, well, why should we trust you? You're one of the guys that wrecked us for so many years and you did all these horrible ads and you hated, you know, we hated you for all these things you did. And, and my point to them is the reason you should trust me now is how much I how much you hated me before you should know what I can and have done I'm going to show you how to avoid those traps because I helped build a lot of them I'm going to show you how to get out of the trouble that I engineered for your party for so many years because for, for this, at this moment my ideological priors are not important relative to the future and the fate of this country. You created ads for Rudolph Giuliani during the 1997 New York City mayoral election, later worked at City Hall and campaigned for Giuliani during the 2000 New York Senate election. Have you I was been? The, I was, yeah, I was the strategist for that campaign, for the 2000 campaign. Have you been surprised so, by his uh, more recent activities, or is this, is this pretty much the man you knew? You know, we always knew there was a bad Rudy, as we called him, and sometimes the bad Rudy, uh, uh, the analogy we used to use was, was sort of a Batman character. And you needed sometimes, you know, that Batman character in terrible moments of, of enormous danger, like 9-11. You needed somebody who absolutely could be a two-fisted leader at those moments. The problem was, and the problem you know, increasingly is, that the man who made his career by prosecuting criminals and corrupt politicians is now uh, the, the guy who essentially has kept a corrupt politician in, in, uh, in power by using, uh, by using the, a very dangerous uh, set of connections to basically Eastern European organized crime figures in the Ukraine scandal. I mean, it is really disappointing to folks who saw Rudy, uh, you know, as someone who, Look, he, there was always a bad Rudy side. There was always a rough side of Rudy, but it, it's not—it's not easy to watch what's happened to him in this day and age. I was once at a party with Donna Hanover, and somebody asked her about. <laughs> she said, "Well, I can't really talk about it." I guess she suggested that they had a a, a non-disclosure agreement. She said, "But if I ever do, he's in deep." And she used a a, uh -huh. a word I can't say on the air. Uh, <laughs> Uh, yes. <laughs> you you open a, your introduction with another Trump win, and you write that uh, what can save Trump is a Democratic candidate who runs the race Trump wants him to run instead of the campaign mm -hmm. they must run in 2020. Correct. And, and one of the things Democrats often lose sight of in campaigns is that you have to run the campaign, the, the real campaign in front of you, not the one in your head. You have to not run the campaign you think is going to be effective. You have to run the one with the numbers and the polling and the and, and the entire structure of your of your your data operation tells you you have to run. And so frequently they want to win this big philosophical argument or try to change the country or, or try to have some sweeping uplift that you know activates you know, group X or Y of young voters, and it rarely works. Republicans are much more block and tackle, and they're much more uh, reductionist. And so uh, one of the arguments I make, and I open the book with an election night where the Democrat thinks they're going to win and loses, a la Hillary. Hmm. And I close it with one where the Democrat has done everything right, has done everything by the numbers, by the book, and, and, and is victorious, even though the campaign they had to run wasn't the one they wanted to run in the beginning. It wasn't the campaign they, they dreamed of running, but it was the campaign they needed to run. And that's what I'm, and that's what I'm trying to get to in this book is, is getting them to run the campaign they have to run because there is no other campaign. And Trump people, as much as Donald Trump is not a bright man and he's chaotic and he's crazy and all the corrupt, all these other things, he is surrounded by a group of political operators 
uh, who are guys who used to all be my friends <laughs> and who I know very well, they are not stupid people. They will run a campaign that is independent of his tweeting and his kookiness. They will run a campaign that is based on all these tools in the toolbox after 30 years of, of, of elections. And, look, and what's in it for them? For, for, the, for the Republicans? No, the well, ones, your, your former friends. I don't know if they still oh, speak oh. to you. A few of them do. Um, and a few of them, you know, call me as the father confessor and like, oh, my God, I feel so dirty. <laughs> Um, but Leonard, a lot of what a lot of what they what they what they have in it right now is it's ride or die. Donald Trump has come to define the whole party. They don't have an exit strategy, and they recognize if he goes down, then there is a real undercurrent where another twenty House seats may go Democratic, and where the Senate may go Democratic. And these guys, their bread and butter relies on having majorities. And they're trying desperately to get majorities back in both houses and to rewind the White House. He has become the only game in town. And you, they, they don't have other options now. You reveal the strategies and tactics that they'll use against the Democratic nominee and how the Democrats can avoid the catastrophe awaiting for them if they fall into those traps. Are they already already setting traps? Oh, gosh, yeah, absolutely. It doesn't absolutely. matter that there are still nine candidates? doesn't matter. I'll give you an example. Um, and, and this is just one of the things that, that, that Democrats need to realize good policy ideas or, or policy ideas that they think sound good almost always can be flipped over and manipulated and turned into a liability. The Green New Deal, which sounded great on paper, the majority of Americans now do not favor the Green New Deal because what they think of it, they think that the Green New Deal is bans eating meat and airplanes. Mm-hmm. And that may be false, and it's false, but it's what they believe because the Republican Party seized on it and got a hold of it. Medicare for all. Medicare for all, the message out of Medicare for all is it eliminates your private health insurance. So the Republicans right now are advertising to Democratic male labor union members in Ohio, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, and Michigan saying uh, if the Democrats if the Democrats are, nominee comes – they're going to take away your union health care plan, which is a private plan paid for by the union. They're going to, and so these guys, these guys are way ahead of the Democrats in understanding that policy is a liability most of the time. People really in elections, as much as we'd like it to be about big philosophical issues or, or meaningful, thoughtful discourse, most elections are about gut emotional level things. And, and my side is pretty good at picking those things out and scaring the heck out of people. And you reveal the strategies and tactics, uh, for example, opposition research. How does that work? Is that something I assume you did while you were working for those Republican candidates in the past? Well, I hired the best opposition researchers in the world to go and dig up information that I needed to, to, to draw those contrasts, to set up those cultural uh, those cultural moments between the candidates to 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 frame the Democrats as people who were out of touch. I mean, I'll give you a good example. You know, we would go into states with a high Catholic population, and we would target Democratic voters who were Catholic. And a lot of them, we just discovered by our research, were not as pro-choice as Democrats in, say, New York or California. And we would we wouldn't go crazy until ban Roe v. Wade. We would bring up questions about the other guy's voting record on abortion. We would find little slivers of their votes and their statements that made it uh, that, that disqualified them in the eyes of those of those moderate Catholic voters. And we do that in a lot of places with a lot of issues that the Democrats at the top level really want to embrace. Uh, you know, another, another good example is the Democrats love gun control, but white male Democrats in North Carolina. And in Florida, we discovered they don't. And that's why those white male Democrats flipped and voted for Donald Trump, even though a lot of them voted for Barack Obama in 2006 or 2012. And so, you know, these, these things are all out there. None of this is a secret how we do this. But research drives everything in a campaign. And, and depending on good opposition, and it's not like going through people's trash cans. 
That's going through their voting record, their statements, their TV interviews, their tweets, their Facebook posts, and knowing who your opponent is and, and the things they said in the past. And the Democrats didn't do that uh, during the last election. Uh, every, no one thought that Trump would win the Republican nomination. Well, then, then all of the national polls in 2016 predicted that uh, sure. uh, he, he uh, was going to lose well, to Hillary. Actually, then afterward, well, the analysts all said, uh, well, the Democrats did everything wrong. Well, Leonard, the, the, the national polls were actually correct insofar as they predicted yeah. Hillary would win the national popular vote. But national polls, and another big part of this book, is that national polls are an illusion. National yeah. polls um, take you down a path that is not going to win, because whether people love it or hate it, the only game in town is the Electoral College. And you've got to win this race in the Electoral College states, particularly the ones that Trump was able to get, from the Democrats in, uh, in 2016, places like Michigan and Ohio and Pennsylvania and Wisconsin and Florida and North Carolina, those swing states, you have to win them. There's no option to, but to win them. And unless they start taking this very seriously, they're going to lose them again. And, and you know, it doesn't matter how much, you, how much of the vote you get in California, if you lose by one vote in Wisconsin or one vote in Michigan or one vote in Pennsylvania or Florida, you lose. So you so you advise that the Democrats spend every dime on the swing states like Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Michigan, Absolutely. and Ohio, because they can assume that the blue states, California, New York, and uh, sure. and others Absolutely. are going to vote for the Democrat no matter what. They are, and, and look, I know how New York is going to vote. I know how Mississippi is going to vote, and those choices to devote their resources where the fight actually is is sometimes mentally difficult for them to, to grasp. But it's absolutely the only game in town. I mean, Donald Trump won the Electoral College in three states with 77,000 votes and in four states with 109,000 votes. So this election is going to be close, and it's going to be fought in close, in close states and without, without, a very, um, without a very aggressive and engaged campaign in those states. He's got a better than average chance of winning them again. No, and if they waste a dime in California or New York, they're fools. But don't the Democrats face other obstacles that are not of Trump's making, like gerrymandering oh, and sure. voter suppression in quite no, well, in a number of states? Gerrymandering makes no difference in a yeah. statewide election. And yeah, in a presidential election, right? But um, voter suppression no does. Yeah, but uh, here's the thing: with voter fraud and voter suppression are two things that exist in campaigns, but they are basically marginal factors. They are basically, you know, voter fraud is 1% or 2%, and voter suppression is 1% or 2%. Um, they're not central to the, the campaign problem. And there's an old phrase by Lee Atwater, you know, you got to win so big it doesn't matter if they cheat. And if they, if they adopt that, they're going to have better success than, than complaining and making excuses. You know, it was voter fraud. It was, it was suppression. It was whatever. Those things, those things exist, absolutely exist, but they're not dispositive in campaigns as a general rule. You write, and I'm going to quote, uh, Trump will, quote, go down in history with asterisks next to his name for endemic corruption, outrageous stupidity, egregious cruelty and inhumanity, for diminishing the presidency and the nation, and for being a lout with a terrible wig, but that the Democratic Party is too stubborn, undisciplined, and foolish to get out of its way? It frequently is, and you know, they're, they're, they're endeavoring to be better. And I mean, I, I know they're trying to improve in some areas, um, but it is. But what I outlined in this book is a is a long pattern that that I've observed over many years in this business, and I'm trying to help them avoid the things that I've seen them do time and time and time again that cause them to lose elections. Now, Which is an ironic, ironic place for me to be in. But, and you write that Trump's venality and willingness to fleece the GOP rubes doesn't repel them 
it's what attracts him. Why do you think he inspires so much loyalty in his admirers and what you call his MAGA base, despite the sexual scandals, his looting of the, his own charities, the, sure. the Trump University debacle, his, his chummy relationship with authoritarian leaders around the world, mm-hmm. the trillion-dollar deficits, the broken promises on health care, the destructive economic impact of some of his tariffs, his inability at times, as you mentioned earlier, to construct a coherent sentence or even pronounce the most basic, simple words. Uh, None of those things, and he could be really vicious and mean. Do they delight in his nasty put-downs and, and do. uh, firing anyone who opposes him? They've come to enjoy the cruelty. You know, for them, for a lot of the Republican base, and this is hard to admit, because look, I, I started in my, my Republican career with George Herbert Walker Bush, who was a man of very dignified manners. He was a man of, of principle who had served his country, um, he was not, by any standard, you could disagree with him politically, but he was not a lout. He was not a scumbag. Um, and he demanded a very high level of ethics from everyone who worked for him. I was a very junior appointee in that administration. But, you know, if I had ever, you know, if, if anyone was known to be making money off of their position or as a lobbyist, they would have been fired instantaneously. You know, he was, the, he was the president who deployed a whole bunch of us young political hit guys down to, down to Louisiana when David Duke ran for governor to beat him, to, to, run, to, run, to help the Democratic candidate beat David Duke. So, you know, I come from a different era, I suppose, in some ways. Um, but there is a certain degree to which Trump's base revels in the nastiness. They revel in the cruelty and the name-calling. And they consider that to be a kind of victory – um, that frankly, you know, it's, it's alien to most people who call themselves conservatives. But you know, the core of Trumpism is not conservative. The core of Trumpism is nationalist and authoritarian and statist, um, and enjoys this sort of cult-like, um, cult-like behavior, where the worse you behave, they think the more effective you are politically. Even though that's cost them 650 seats around the country since Trump was elected. Now, you mentioned that a number of people who voted for Obama voted for Trump. And then on the other side, a group called Republicans for the Rule of Law is running ads on Fox that criticize the president's decision to fire Lieutenant Colonel Alexander Vindman. And now now his suggestion that the military should actually consider disciplinary action against him, even though, uh, as far as I can tell, he didn't do anything wrong. Well, it's, it's an outrageous, another, another outrageous abuse of, of power where he is attempting to suborn the military chain of command to punish uh, an American soldier who obeyed a, a lawful subpoena to give testimony in a congressional hearing. And so the message is protect the, protect the mob boss, not follow, follow the rule of law. And the rule of law used to mean something to conservatives. It used to be a very important aspect of conservatism, and and, and it is now uh, it is now seen as an impediment to Donald Trump, and is now seen as something that that he can't. I'm speaking with Rick Wilson, who has uh, written uh, another best-selling book, uh, follow-up to his previous bestseller, which calls Everything Trump Touches Dies. This one is Running Against the Devil, A Plot to Save America from Trump and Democrats from Themselves. It is published by Crown Forum, which is a division of of Random of Penguin Random House. And you are listening to Leonard Lopate at Large on WBAI New York, 99.5 FM, listener-sponsored radio. Stay with us for more. Long, long time ago, a Tuesday in November, when that sinking feeling laid us low. We knew if he had his way, that we'd all live to curse the day when decency received a fatal blow. His bankruptcy's got no attention. Pussy grabbing barely mentioned Promising a great wall 
He swore to make tax rates fall. I still remember how I tried to have sympathy for his third bride. But something rumbled deep inside the day. Democracy died. But no, don't let democracy die. He's a famous ignoramus, can't tell truth from a lie. And if he wins, we'll kiss our country goodbye. Singing, vote for anyone but this guy. Okay, very good. Vote for. We'll be back with Rick Wilson in a few minutes, but uh, this is also the second week of WBAI's Winter Fun Drive, and uh, it's uh, an important time for us because this is the way we uh, pay our bills. I'm joined now by my executive producer, Jesse Lent. Jesse, welcome back to the show. Thanks, Leonard. It's great to be here. And uh, we... uh, we don't take uh, any uh, corporate funds. We don't run ads as they do on many other public radio stations. And te- television is just filled with, uh, with what I would call ads. Uh, we simply depend, uh, and, and the, on the purest level, on the support of our listeners, the people who listen to us. So uh, we hope that uh, you understand that and will be uh, part of and, and help us pay our bills. And the number to call is 516-620-3602 to become a member of WBAI. Or you can go to our donation site, give to WBAI.org. That's give the number two, WBAI.org. And if you're listening to this show and fascinated as I am about this perspective on the race from the other side, from the Republican war room, uh, I am happy to announce that anyone who becomes a BAI buddy today in the name of Leonard Lopate at large will receive a copy of Rick Wilson's book. Uh, so in order to do that, again, that's becoming a sustaining member, or as we call him, a BAI buddy, for a contribution of $10 or more a month, you will get the Rick Wilson book, uh, but you, you got to make that call right now at 516-620-3602, or else go to our website, give to WBAI.org. Now... Obviously, it's very hard to spin the dial and land on any talk radio station not doing sports <laughs> that isn't discussing Donald Trump. And actually, at this point, maybe even some of the sports shows are, too. But on this show, on Leonard Lopez at Large, we're always looking for a way to cover the current political situation in a different, more holistic fashion. What do I mean by that? Not the TikTok of which tweet or who said what, but a way to take more of a bird's eye view and look at the way the structure is set up and to analyze and reflect on some of the more systemic issues at play here. I feel like today's conversation with Rick Wilson definitely checks that box. And, you know, Leonard and I are, are you know, we're, we're political junkies, just like a lot of our listeners. But we think it's important that we offer a different kind of take on today's politics. And uh, I, I commend many of the people who are on television for doing a, a very good job on so-and-so said such, such and such 10 minutes ago, breaking news. And But we, uh, we as uh, Jesse has said, we're looking at overview, under, explaining how we got to this situation, uh, and whether we're talking about physics, we've we've done shows on on Einstein and on quantum mechanics, or whether we're talking about uh, uh, m- music or literature or whatever. We always think about the overview. That's why we give you these full hour shows, and uh, we uh, we know that you uh, appreciate that because we get some wonderful emails from our listeners. But we need a show support and another way to keep this show and WBAI, which has generously given us this hour a day, alive. And that's by calling us at five one six six two zero three six zero two or going to give. Go to give to WBAI.org. And uh, we appreciate any show of support, whether it's um, 
$10, $100, whatever, or if you become a WBAI buddy, which allows us to plan for the future because we will be receiving that $10 a month until you tell us no longer want it to happen or $12 or 15 or whatever level you feel comfortable with. I want to get back to my guest very soon, Jesse, but um, well, this I is just, really important. It, it is really important, and I just wanted to say one last time, in case anyone missed it, that anyone who becomes a BAI buddy today uh, in the name of Leonard Lopate at large, makes that $10 sustaining contribution out of your credit card, out of your debit card, however you want to do it, receives a copy of Rick Wilson's Running Against the Devil, not running with the devil like the famous Van Halen song. This is running against the devil. Uh, this is a breakdown of the same Republican strategies that will be used in 2020. So if you would like a copy of that book, please call 516-620-3602 or go to our website, give to WBAI, make that contribution. Let management know that Leonard Lopate at large is important to you and that you don't want us to go anywhere. And thank you, as always, for your support. And let's get back to Rick Wilson, who you uh, probably have seen on CNN NN or MSNBC, heard on NPR. You might have read him in uh, the, the, the Daily Beast or uh, some of the other places he's written, or in his previous book, which was a bestseller, and now in this new one, which is already rising uh, in the New York Times bestseller charts. It's called Running Against the Devil, The Plot to Save America from Trump and Democrats from Themselves, published by Crown Forum. When he was running in 2016, Rick, Donald Trump promised to be a different kind of Republican. Unlike the party's mainstream, he promised to raise taxes on the rich, reject cutting programs like Social Security, Medicare, and Medicaid that ordinary Americans rely on, and he would invest large sums in rebuilding America's infrastructure. He's been doing a, pretty much the opposite of all of those things. <laughs> It's always infrastructure week next week, as I like to say. But the other things, um, he's now wants to cut back on Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid. Uh, right, he, obviously, the, he, a, he obviously did a tax cut to, for the rich. Sure. And, and as much as I am a, a, a fiscal conservative and a Republican who believes that taxes should, on the whole, be, be lower and flatter, his tax cut, the $2 trillion tax cut, which is you know, part of the sugar high we're on right now, I opposed it because I knew who it was for. This were about 185 uh, hedge funds, uh, major Wall Street banks, and, and high net worth individuals. And it was the worst kind of crony capitalism, um, but it is certainly is you know, certainly on brand for Donald Trump at this point to take care of his donors, to take care of his, of, of his major financial supporters. Um, I mean, his new budget proposes almost a three-quarters of a trillion-dollar cut over four years to Medicare, Medicaid, and Social Security-type programs and disability, um, and, you know, massive cuts uh, throughout the government uh, in, in programs uh, like the State Department uh, and, and the Department of Energy. Everything not really to the whole in the Department of Energy is being cut to the bone. Um, and, you know, and as much as I'm a foreign, foreign and defense conservative, you know, we're now spending basically $800 billion a year um, on the Department of Defense, and Trump is larding them with weapon systems they don't want, don't need, and can't afford, um, while, while, you know, minimizing our ability to actually protect ourselves by destroying our alliances in the world. Now, Michael, so, Michael yeah, Bloomberg, go ahead. I'm sorry. He's exactly, the, you're correct. He's exactly the opposite of what he ran as. And uh, Michael Bloomberg's ads about health care have obviously upset him. In response to one of them, he tweeted, I saved pre-existing conditions. He made the same claim in the State of the Union address, but uh, not only weren't they saved after the vote, they put all Republicans in a bus and took them to the Rose Garden to have a party to celebrate the end of pre-existing medical conditions. And the yeah, Department of cool. Justice is litigating in the courts to eliminate them. That is correct, and that is the one aspect of the ACA and of, of Obamacare that was universally popular among every single demographic group: Republicans, Democrats, liberals, conservatives, black, white, Asian, Hispanic. You know, every single demographic group had a story 
of what happened to their family or their friends or their wives or their kids where they were denied coverage because of pre-existing. It was, it was the biggest driver in favor of, of Obamacare. Well, of course, the Trump administration and the Republicans in Congress led with a Obamacare repeal bill, quote, unquote, that its main feature was striking pre-existing condition coverage. That was its central feature. And, and you're correct. They're litigating to destroy the, the pre-existing condition coverage. They're litigating to destroy something that is that is uh, demonstrably been a benefit to Americans, even if there's some cost involved. It is something that they want and and need. And there was a major political cost to that in 2016, and that cost will continue to be extracted from the GOP in 2020, in my opinion, because I know the polling very well on pre-existing, and it's now, have the Democrats focused too little on the state of the economy? Despite his promises, there are no new steel plants uh, being built. Household debt is at record levels. Home values are flat. Economists are warning of a downturn similar to the recession in 2007, sure. 2008. College loan debt remains a serious concern. Exactly. And then there was a recent report from the Department of Labor that reveals that despite the president's boasts about his economic record, his first three years produced one and a half million fewer jobs than Obama's final three years. Correct. Um, Leonard, Donald Trump is one thing, and that is a great salesman of his own BS. And the economy is something that you know, he has had a lot of cheerleaders on Wall Street um, who have enjoyed three big things. One, that $2 trillion tax cut we just talked about. Two, about $5, billion, or, excuse me, about $5 trillion of Federal Reserve liquidity spending still pumping into the system every year and a half or so, uh, if you average it out. And three, that, we're spend, that our deficit spending is at about a trillion dollars a year rate. So the sugar high in the economy, it's helping a lot of folks on Wall Street, a lot of higher income network individuals, um, is not trickling down, as the, to use the term of art, um, into, into the lives of a lot of other folks. However, um, there's a reality bubble around Trump where Fox News repeats over and over again, the economy is booming, you're doing fine. And it's hard to talk people off that ledge. It's hard to, it's hard to convince them otherwise in a lot of cases. Um, mainly because the, the, the power of Fox to, to shape the reality of what Republican listeners and viewers believe is so overwhelming. Do you think that the president is a white supremacist when he uh, had Melania put the Medal of Freedom uh, on uh, around Rush Limbaugh's neck during the, the State of the Union address for, quote, the millions of people a day that you speak to and that you inspire— it inspired the New York Times and others to compile lists of some of Limbaugh's most racist and sexist comments over the years. Sure. When did uh, a more overt racism become a part of the GOP playbook? I mean, after all, it is the party of, of Lincoln. Well, look, Donald Trump normalized and mainstreamed and, and sent a very clear signal in 2016 and 2015. You know, he was constantly retweeting uh, these alt-right accounts of Jack Posobiec and, and Dan Bongino and Don Cardillo and all these guys who were, who were very much alt-right thought leaders and, and pushing the alt-right message that the danger in society is the brown person, the danger in society is the immigrant. And, you know, that it, it, it flies in the face of the propositional nature of America. And they wonder why Republicans now are getting in the low teens with Hispanics, which is comparable to where they get with African Americans. And remember, George Bush, George W. Bush, um, did a very major outreach to Hispanics. He worked on immigration reform. He had almost 37 percent of the Hispanic vote in 2004, and you know, not 25 points off of that. You got where the Republicans are basically now. It's because Donald Trump has mainstreamed xenophobia and racial animus as part of his brand of this, of this party. But hasn't the party always been kind of conflicted? For example, there was Nixon's Southern strategy, and yet he also opened up immigration to people from Asia. Correct. And, you know, Richard Nixon also gave a passionate speech as early as 1958, I believe, about the evils of segregation. 
about how we had to end it as a country. And he gave us the Clean Water Act, the Clean Air Act, the EPA, all things that are under attack now. Right. And and, and I I come from a strain of of Republicanism and conservatism that, you know, I I grew up as, you know, I grew up in Florida. I grew up in a family of outdoorsmen, fishermen, hunters, camping. and, and, And so... You know, I guess if I'd grown up in a golden tower in Manhattan, I might think of it differently. But you know, I think one of the government's jobs is to preserve our uh, our country for posterity, for future generations, and not to think of it as you know as uh, something disposable, which which is kind of the mindset of of Donald Trump. Of, of the environment is a it's a tertiary issue for him at very best, and um, I think that's something we've got to address as a country. Um, in, the, in, in whatever follows on Trump, because we've got a lot of urgent, pressing needs in this country, you know, reshaping our energy economy. And I don't mean that as, you know, top-down, command and control, green socialism. I mean that as um, these are things that, that, you know, if we're still burning coal in 20 years, it, is, it, it shows we failed on a number of different levels of the country. Now, I, we don't have much time left, so I want to pick your brain as a political strategist. You must sure. have thought about what leads someone on the fence to choose one candidate over the other. Are there some basic rules? There are, there are some basic rules. And one of the main rules is people want to feel a cultural connection. They want to feel that, that, that the person they're going to vote for understands them, gets them, and will fight for them. This, is, this iterates out over all parties. And for many, many generations, we've seen it that, as they say down south, people want to see some fight in the dog. If they're having a dog fight, they want to see a dog that's going to be in the fight. So they like scrapping candidates. They like people who, who, who show that they're going to have some energy and some direction. Um, that, so that cultural connection is very important. The second thing that's really important is a sense among, uh, a sense among voters that, that they're they're going to clean up the things that are that are jangling in their in their conscience. Voters don't like corruption. They 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 reject it time and again in our electoral system. Well, there's a lot so of corruption it, right now. There is a tremendous amount. 1974, you know, you lost 49 Republican seats and eight U.S. Senate seats to the Republicans because they were defending a corrupt president. Now, 1994, I... the Democrats lost seats in the House because they were defending a corrupt president. And and or defend, I'm sorry, excuse me, defending a corrupt uh, Speaker of the House in the House bank. So corruption is a killer app, and voters hate it. That's one thing they want to see is that somebody's going to clean up Washington and make it work for Americans. Well, I, I realize I've often voted against candidates rather than for their opponents, but I always vote. The uh, One of the other big issues, and we have practically no time, is voter turnout, which is a major factor in every election. How do you uh, get people to 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 go and vote? How do you inspire them to do it? These days, getting them to go and vote involves getting them in their social media channels in Facebook, Twitter, and, and other social media that drives them and making making sure that their peer group is telling them, hey, I'm going to go vote. You need to vote too. That is the way that it works in the modern era. It used to be, you know, door knocking and party organization and phone calls. Now it's on the socials and it's, it's vital that the campaign I mean, look, the Trump campaign is going to spend a billion dollars on uh, media, mostly social media. And Democrats need to stay up on the curve and be ready to do the same thing uh, as we go forward in 2020, especially on the turnout. Thank you so much for being on our show today. Uh, Thank you for having me, Lord. I appreciate it. Sorry about the dropping out on the train a couple times. Well... We got most of it in. Uh, a few things I wanted to talk to you about that we couldn't get to, but uh, maybe next time I'll be seeing you on television and, of course, reading you on the op-ed pages and the like. Rick Wilson, yes, or in this book, uh, Rick Wilson, Running Against the Devil, A Plot to Save America from Trump and Democrats from Themselves, published by Crown Forum. Thanks again. Thank you, sir. Talk to you soon. And that brings us to the end of today's show. Uh, If you're new to our program and you like what you've been hearing, you can access past shows streaming on demand at WBAI.org. We're also available as an iTunes podcast. And don't forget to check out Leonard Lopate at Large on Facebook and Twitter and our website, LeonardLopateAtLarge.com, where you can find links to all of our past shows. And we invite your comments on all of those sites. We have preempted tomorrow for special WBAI program 
But we hope that you'll join us on Friday when one of our regular contributors, Michael Patrick McDonald, will talk about the situation in the UK post-Brexit day, actually in Ireland as well. And we'll see you then. And we're in the second week of WBI's Winter Pledge Drive. A reminder that if you become a BAI buddy now for any amount, $10, $15, $20 a month, we are happy to send you a copy of our guest's book, Running Against the Devil, a plot to save America from Trump and the Democrats from themselves. So go to 516-620-3602 or to our website, give2wbai.org. That's given the number to wbai.org. And thank you so much for your support.